Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Later today, we have a guest on uh, who helped turn his blue East Coast town red this year. Does he have the model for the GOP in 2024? I'm really looking forward to this conversation. One man who actually did it and how. But we begin with the reckoning at top colleges across America. Harvard President Claudine Gay is not going the way of Penn's Liz McGill, at least not yet. This woman hasn't met somebody who's slightly right of far left, who she didn't want to cancel or kick out of Harvard. But she gets to keep her job because she's black. She's a woman. She's clearly a DEI hire. And she says all the right things to please her left wing board other than, oh, I condemn calls for genocide against the Jews. (laughs) Uh, This is absurd. Like I said with Tucker yesterday, Even getting rid of Claudine Gay won't change a damn thing about Harvard. It's lost. It's disgusting. They're on a different mission now than they were generations ago to actually educate our best and brightest to become tomorrow's leaders. Now they're on a mission to turn everyone into woke zombies who will vote Democrat. And that mission continues. Claudine Gay, I mean, she pushed out people who were black, who were white, Men, women didn't matter any position that wasn't woke far left. She loved to target. She lives to fight another day because God forbid this board get rid of somebody like that. I'm I'm sorry. It's absurd. Okay. Penn had a different position. Uh, They forced their president to resign over the weekend, Liz McGill, in the wake of her terrible performance before Congress last week, where she was talking about the law on free speech like she was talking about, um, you know, her morning coffee, although it had to do with chants for the death of Jews. It depends on the context. It depends on the pervasiveness. Was she wrong as a legal matter? No, she wasn't. I said it at the time. Doesn't mean what she was saying had the correct tone or moral condemnation of the content, which you know we would have heard had somebody been out there chanting for death to black people wearing a hood. She couldn't find the moral outrage when it was about Jews, which says a lot about Liz McGill and Claudine Gay and the other one uh, who was out there from MIT. All these women are straight out of central casting. So, so far, Claudine is weathering the storm, notwithstanding the fact that she appears to be a cheat, too. She appears to have plagiarized not just one uh, time in her dissertation, but the examples are coming out over and over. The Free Beacon has a big post today, Eliana's publication. Um, Claudine doesn't really much like citing people whose ideas she's stealing from the look of it. Um, And so they want her to stay because the other idea that she's stealing is that It's fine to condemn Jews and call for their deaths on campuses. Yes, she only reversed that position when she was browbeaten to within an inch of losing her job. And then finally she saw the light. She for today has garnered the public support of the Harvard Corporation, which writes today that they reaffirm our support for President Gay's continued leadership of Harvard University and that our, quote, extensive deliberations affirm our confidence that President Gay is the right leader to help our community heal 
and to address the very serious societal issues we are facing. Wokeism. That's what they're saying. All the white racists. She's the one to stare them down. The fact that she seems to be in favor of anti-Semitism, we're going to give her a pass. You know, we know we've lost a bunch of money, but it's more important to us to appease our super woke George Floyd idealizing left flank. And Claudine is just the gal. In fact, as you look back at Claudine's dissertation, which she apparently plagiarized large, large portions of, as I mentioned, and some of her other writings coming under scrutiny, you know what? Guess what they're all about? I mean, literally all of them. Race, race, race. Black, 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 white, 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 black, white, black, white. What if you're between black and white like they are in Brazil? She writes about the Afro-Brazilians. She, she's never seen something involving race she doesn't want to condemn in a way because she finds it threatening or upsetting or bad for black people. But if you're a Jew, you're on your own. Sorry, Claudine doesn't quite see how you've been oppressed by all the calls for genocide. That's where she draws the line. And apparently so does the Harvard board. They all they two don't give a damn. And what's going to happen now that she's been reaffirmed? They're saying she's the one to lead Harvard forward in its fight against anti-Semitism. Oh, she is. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. She's now going to triple down on any call that sounds like anti-Semitism because she's scared. She's scared for her own hide. She doesn't want to be fired as the president of Harvard. Right. It's embarrassing. Um, So she's going to double down on that. And while she does, she's going to double down on every other, quote, hateful statements. Harvard is going to go a different way. Instead of learning its lesson about free speech and universal applications, you mark my words, they're going to crack down on things even more. There's not going to be a Riley Gaines appearance on Harvard University ever or anybody who sounds like her. Um, So it's going to be an overcorrection. This whole thing will have wound up hurting the free speech such as it is at Harvard uh, even more than it already has been. Joining me now to discuss that and many other things, Andrew Claven. He's host of The Daily Wire's Andrew Claven Show and author of the book, The House of Love and Death, available right now. Good Christmas gift. Check it out. Andrew, welcome back. So what do you what do you think of what I said? What does Harvard do now that they've reaffirmed Claudine Gay in this position? Well, you're absolutely right that the key thing about her is that she's a DEI hire. They can't fire her without actually rejecting the core philosophy that caused her to make such a mistake uh, in testimony to begin with. The problem with what she said and what uh, Liz McGill said and the other woman from MIT is that it actually was reflective of an overall philosophy. You know, I'm I'm very much in favor of forgiving people who make silly statements. We all make silly statements. So many of us are on the air all the time. You might say something uh, that they want to cancel you for. And I always feel like if it doesn't reflect your heart, if it doesn't reflect your philosophy, let it go. We should be eager to let things go and eager to show grace. But the problem with what these people said is that it was an actual reflection of an overall philosophy that puts Jews in a place that no other minority is in. The Jews, as I've always said, and I always insist on this, Jew hatred is unique. It is not part of the other, the othering of other people. It is something very specific. It's a rejection of all of Western civilization because the Jews wrote the book that gave us the God that transformed classical, uh, the classical mindset into the European mindset. They are the people who gave us 
the identity we have. And so the rejection of them is really a rejection of all of Western culture, of all of religious culture. And they mean it. They, they mean that hatred, that hatred against the West, that hatred against freedom, that hatred against the American way, where they attack Israel only as a proxy for the rest of us. So Claudine Gay is, is not going to go away for now. But you know, the last time we talked, Megan, you said that this is going to be a moment when these people are exposed. And I was a little skeptical because I don't think they're exposing anything. I think the people who support them already know what they believe, already know who they are, and they mean it. They mean to hate the West. They mean to hate the Jews. They mean to hate the God of the Bible. They mean all of that stuff. And none of that is hidden from the people who already support them. But I'm a little bit more hopeful now because I was, I was pretty amazed at the widespread reaction against what these people said. I was expecting a lot more from the buttheads, the but, 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 and well, she meant this, and well, she was trying to say this. But really, they didn't peek their heads over the parapet because they would have had their heads taken off as they deserve. This is not a question of free speech. These people are not in favor of free speech, as you point out. You can't go to these colleges as a conservative without starting a riot, a riot that is often caused by the administration. It's not about free speech. It is about the hatred of the West, the hatred of the Jews, the hatred of, of, of the biblical worldview in, in, in a general sense, not like you have to believe in everything the Bible says, but simply in the way that the Bible infiltrates everything we think and everything we are. So you know, I, I actually think that maybe people and, and maybe important people, people with money, the money that supports these universities are beginning to see that this is a mistake. You know, Jews are hiding out like Anne Frank in these universities. They're ditching their symbols of their faith and their symbols of their uh, you know racial identity so that they're not attacked. And nobody is doing a damn thing about it. We hear a lot about Islamophobia, but the the statistics show that the increase in anti-Jewish hate uh, crimes is huge, where the increase in Islamophobic hate crimes is small and coming up from almost nothing. So this this is a real philosophy, a real revelation, a real exposure of something central to the DEI woke idea. And I think you may be right, Megan. I think maybe this is getting out. Maybe people are seeing this and Harvard is going to make a stand. Let them try it. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I do think we're winning over every woke Jewish American, <laughs> every yeah, woke Jewish American, to the extent yeah. they're out there, they're now on our side. They get it. They get it in an acute way other than these weird, uh, what is it? Jewish voices for peace, which are that they're not real. That's, that's not a real thing. Um, they're, they're not pro Israel and they're certainly not pro Jewish persons. They're on the other side. But in any event, here's the thing about Claudine Gay. And I, I maintain my optimism that you and I discussed. However, I'm not optimistic about people like Claudine Gay and the, the way like what's happening on the university systems is just, just it's a joke. And even getting rid of Claudine Gay wouldn't have helped, but at least it would have sent some sort of a message. Here's instead what they've done. And these people are so disgusting. God, it's disgusting. People want to get their kid into this school and listen to this per, this board. Um, OK, Penny Pritzker. We, we talked with Tucker yesterday. The Pritzkers. They're like the number one funders of the trans agenda. They're the ones trying to shove, you know, your boy can be a girl into every third grade in America. She's on the board. She's one of the ones who decided that Claudine Gay can stay. You go down the list. It's mostly women. I have to say, I'm sorry to condemn my own sex, but these women, they tend to be the worst when it comes to wokeism. They're just pathetic in there. They think they're being empathetic and instead they're just being pathetic and they need to grow a pair. Okay. Here's what they say. 
First of all, President Gay has apologized. She's apologized for how she handled her congressional testimony. Well, guess who didn't give two dams about an apology when a young man who had gone to the Parkland School down in Florida, where there had been that terrible school shooting, applied to Harvard and got in. Then it came out that he was part of this conversation with a bunch of other nimrods who were 16 year, years old at the time, where he said hateful things. He used the N-word and he said something, a phrase like, kill all the effing Jews. However, he came out immediately and said this was a, an absurd conversation in which a bunch of adolescents were intentionally trying to use the worst words and say the most insane things imaginable. This was not this guy expressing a genuinely held opinion. It was a bunch of dopes at 16 years old saying provocative things to be more provocative. Guess what he did? He apologized when those private texts, uh, not, not public testimony before Congress, surfaced. Do you think Claudine Gay gave him a pass? No, she put the boot on the forehead and shoved him right out of Harvard. A kid. He didn't get any grace from Claudine Gay. Then they say, um, well, we, we unanimously, unanimously stand in support of her. At Harvard, we champion open discourse and academic freedom. Okay, I'm just going to give you a couple. I know you know this. Uh, Ron Sullivan, he was a dean of one of these schools. He got booted out of that position because he had the temerity as a defense lawyer to represent Harvey Weinstein. That's it. That was his sin. He did what criminal defense lawyers do. He represented a client who was in trouble with the criminal law. For that, he lost his post. But they champion open discourse and academic freedom. This was outside of his role as a dean. This is in his like private life outside of Harvard, where he works as a lawyer. Da David Kane taught at Harvard in 2020. He was accused of writing offensive blog posts under a pseudonym. What were his sins? He claimed that most black students uh, at Williams College wouldn't have been admitted had, if not for affirmative action, and that Williams would be wrong to punish students for political speech, even if that speech were in support of white nationalist groups. Well, he's right. He, he's right. I mean, there's been, you know, KKK marches in this country. That's allowed in the United States of America. You can't punish people for it. You can choose not to hire them, but you can't fire somebody for saying, hey, we have a First Amendment, which is all he said. He uh, got got the boot. His one year contract was not renewed by Harvard. Then there's Carol Hooven. This case has been in the news for quite some time. She was a lecturer on human evolutionary biology, human evolutionary biology. She knows a thing or two about this subject at Harvard. When promoting a scholarly book about testosterone, she, she suggested on national television, there are two biological sexes, two bio male and female. In response, a graduate student who also served as the director of the DEI group at Harvard denounced her as a transphobe. And guess what? Her colleagues stopped talking to her. The administration failed to defend her. The graduate students bullied her. This is all in the Atlantic, not a right wing publication. And she was forced to take a leave of absence, said that in as of January 23, she retired from her long term teaching and administrative job at Harvard. I don't remember the, the support of open discourse and ap academic freedom for Carol Hooven, who once again, unlike Claudine Gay, was making making comments more in the personal lane, not in her official role as a professor. These people are disgusting hypocrites, Andrew.
Well, and not only that, what she was saying was true. And you left out Larry Summers, who was president of Harvard and had to resign because he suggested that among the many reasons why women may not join math and STEM was that it's possible that at the highest level of math and STEM, men are better at it uh, than women are, which and statistics Roland Fryer. do. Roland yeah, Fryer, yeah. who who came to the conclusion that there is not a massive problem with racism in police shootings and was promptly defunded thanks to two trumped up BS small ball alleged Me Too allegations against him. Who stuck the knife in and twisted it? Claudine Gay, who wanted him not only to have his research lab defunded, which happened, but to have his tenure revoked, a black professor, Claudine Gay. This woman now who we're supposed to, oh, well, she apologized. She's the one to lead us into tomorrow. And they go on to say uh, she'll address anti-Semitism and other forms of hate <laughs> effectively and courageously. It's the other forms of hate that saved her ass, Andrew, and namely her imagined hate by all white people against any persons of color. You know, people don't understand what happens to conservative speakers when they go to these universities and almost all universities with any kind of left wing bent whatsoever. They think the students come out and protest and riot and heckle us. And that, that's true. They do. But before that happens, the administration gins them up. A lot of these students don't know a conservative speaker from Adam. You know, they're not listening to the Daily Wire. They're not listening to, to you. They're not listening. They don't they don't really know who we are a lot of the time because they're completely sequestered within a left wing bubble. The reason they come out and the reason they get excited is because the administration, especially the DEI parts of the administration, send out pages and papers to instigate that kind of anger by taking quotes out of context, by making us look like we're hateful or we're you know brutal in some, some sort of philosophical way, and by telling them that words are violence, which is hilarious when you're actually not protesting against people calling for the extermination of the Jews. So this is embedded in the university. This is not something that students just pops into students' heads. This is not something that they get from their professors and then they translate it into action. This is something that the administration is selling very, very hard. And so any kind of defense of what she's saying in terms of free speech, in terms of tolerance, is a complete lie and complete hypocrisy. I'm not even sure I would go as far as you would in defending free speech in the sense that I, I believe that calling for violence against people is actually a legal speech. I mean, you can't call on people to kill each other and threaten people uh, with physical violence. That's, that is, in fact, illegal. And some of the things that are happening are so threatening to Jewish students that, as I say, they're living on campus like Anne Frank, hiding away. I, I think that there is absolutely reason to expel some of the people who take those actions and to call for them to stop and to, and to penalize them. Again, I'm I'm a free speech purist. I believe you can put forward any idea that you want. But if you express that idea in terms of threats and violence, I think that that's actually illegal and violates even your First Amendment rights. Listen, this is not it's as you said before, it's not about Claudine Gay. It is about a poisonous, toxic philosophy. Everything about DEI is wrong. Diversity is not our strength. I'm thrilled to live in a multi-ethnic country, but what brings us together is our unity and the philosophy expressed by the Declaration of Independence and made into law by the Constitution. That's what brings us together. That's our strength, that we're unified in this. Equity is another name for injustice. Justice is when people get what they deserve. Equity is when people get things because of the color of their skin. And inclusion, again, is not a moral uh, 
it's not a moral standard. You don't include people who despise the principles for which we stand. You know, America does allow free speech, but it allows free speech because it has an image of the human being expressed in our declaration as a God, a person created by God to have certain natural rights. That's why we believe in free speech. So you can have free speech, but you have it under the rules. Uh, you know, created by our founding documents. The fact these people are against all that. They're against our founding documents, but they're against it for thee, but not for me. They're against it when you do it as all the examples you put forward, but not when Claudine Gay does it. This is a ratchet that only turns one way. It leads to silence. It leads to censorship. It leads to cancellation. It leads to the destruction of people's careers on the basis of not just their philosophy, but the color of their skin and where they come from. It is it is a, a an evil. And what needs to be taken out is not just Claudine Gay, but the entire cancer that has infected all of our, so many of our top universities. And that's what I'm hoping is being exposed. I'm hoping people are beginning to scratch their heads and say, you know, this isn't just about what she said in Congress. This is about the philosophy that caused her to say these things and that still, that she still believes in, still represents, as does the board of Harvard. Mm. You know, there was an interesting discussion on Bill Maher this past weekend with uh, our pal, the guy from FIRE. And they were talking about the First Amendment and, you know, how far it goes, because these universities say that they'll abide by the First Amendment principles, even though they're private institutions. First Amendment governs what the government can do to you as a private citizen, not not what a private institution can do to silence your speech. Uh, but they they all say that they abide by First Amendment Amendment principles. And I thought they had a smart discussion uh, in, in essentially saying, look, look, globalize the intifada. Yes, you can say that means kill all the Jews. Intifada can also be defined as an uprising. I'm not saying I'm taking a position on it one way or another, but I can at least see an argument that that general, quote, hate speech is not a First Amendment issue. Like you, you're allowed to say it doesn't rise to the level of incitement. Um, some of the other chants definitely get much closer. I mean, what they were chanting over in Australia, for example, gas the Jews. Yeah, you're you're in trouble. <laughs> now <laughs> you've crossed that's the line. A tough one, yeah. Yeah. Right. So. And all, but the, there's a separate issue on college campuses, which is well, the two of them. Number one, they're required by federal law to provide a safe learning environment for the students who are there. And they cannot be scared because of their race, national origin, religion, gender. The, this, the university is not allowed to create an environment for those students that is intolerable for one of those reasons. So there's the civil rights laws that protect them in an extra way. And then on top of that, which is really at the heart of the issue. Harvard has anti-harassment, anti-bullying laws or program policies that it applies at the drop of a hat. If the speaker is white, never mind conservative and God forbid wearing a MAGA hat, <laughs> but they don't apply when the speaker is a member of Students for Justice in Palestine and the offended party or threatened party is a Jew. And that is where her double standard was most glaring. And I believe that's why Liz McGill got fired because she didn't misstate the law. She lost her humanity and forgot about the separate duty to enforce their anti-bullying, anti-harassment policies equally, depending, irrespective of the targeted group. Um, I want to get to, because I know you've got a Hollywood background, very successful Hollywood screenwriter and author, as I mentioned, and this is kind of a toe in the Hollywood world, SNL. You know, it's all these comedians, actors on one of the most popular shows in America for some 50 years, less so now, but it's been. And, they, you know, you would think this would be TV gold, 
to get out there and mock Claudine Gay and Liz McGill and the other gal from MIT, Sally, who was also a nightmare. She's kind of escaping a lot of notice. They went the other way. It wasn't the skit this past Saturday wasn't about mocking the absurdity of their cold, thoughtless, emotionless responses. It was all about Elise Stefanik. Watch this. Now, I'm going to start screaming questions at these women like I'm Billy Eichner. <laughs> Anti-Semitism, yay or nay? I'm sorry, what? Yes or no is calling for the genocide of Jews against the Code of Conduct for Harvard. Well, it depends on the context. You pen lady. Same question, yes or no? Well, we are serious about stopping all forms of hatred, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. Not the second one. MIT lady, chance to steal. And keep in mind, if you don't say yes, you're going to make me look good, which is really, really hard to do. Mm. She went on to say, hate speech belongs in Congress. This is the fake Stefanik. Hate speech belongs in Congress, on Elon Musk's Twitter, in private dinners with my donors, and in public speeches with my husband, Donald Trump. They couldn't resist, to the point where even the ADLs, this is a left-wing group that hates right-wingers, uh, came out and said this skit was atrocious and other blowback against it, too. SNL creator Lorne Michaels was born Jewish. Uh, I'm not sure whether he weighed in on this or not, but what did you make of it? Well, first of all, it was insanely unfunny. I mean, it was absolutely laugh free. And as you say, it would have been so much easier uh, to go after the universities and the way they think, but they can't, they simply cannot do it. The, the monopoly of this thought in Hollywood is almost complete and is so complete that they don't even know how complete it is. Listen, I get calls all the time from people who can't get work simply because they're white at this point. You only have to turn on you know, Netflix to see that you can't see, for instance, a couple who is white in a, in a drama. Every couple has to be mixed race. Every uh, every story has to involve race at some, at some level. We're constantly being preached to in subtle ways through the things that they do. And as somebody who, as I said, am thrilled to live in a country that is uh, multi-ethnic and, and brings us all together through a philosophy instead of through our races, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But I don't want the people in Hollywood telling me what I have to think, what I have to see. Just let them do stories about the world the way it is, and that would be fine with me. The blacklist out there is real. The people who disagree with this point of view cannot get work. Even the slightest thought that a man can't become a woman is enough to render you unemployable. And and it's a, a sin because it's a kind of a toxin that seeps into people's minds without their even knowing it. And it leads to fear. This is one of the things, you know, when America was just getting started, when Tocqueville was talking about America, the thing that made Americans different than other people was not that they were equal in terms of the money that they made. It was that they were equal that in that no matter how much money they made, they weren't afraid to express their opinions. This is what Tocqueville wrote after he came and visited America. It was amazing to him that the underclasses were just as valuable and free in addressing their opinions as the upper class. It was nobody was going to be quiet if he was an American. That was your right and your opinion mattered. They have now, the left has now managed to shroud this country in fear. 
it's 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 pitiful. I mean, for someone who has seen a better days than these, it is it is absolutely pitiful to see Americans trembling in their shoes when they're asked questions like, what is a woman? Or, you know, do you have to, is it wrong to call for the extermination of the Jews? Or is it possible that there's too much violence in the Islamist community? Th- these are things that are facts that are uh, provable, that are statistic-based, and people are afraid to open their mouths and say them because they have created this culture of fear and because, frankly, we on the right have not created a counterculture of courage, but instead have lived too long uh, bowing to the moral standards of people who believe that you can kill babies five minutes before they're born. Uh, you know, this is this is a serious, serious cultural failure of the right. The people in Hollywood, and I work with them, I know them, they live for love. You know, actors, even writers, all kinds of artists, they're trying to win your love. They they will do a lot of things for no money whatsoever if they think it will win them applause and status and a place to belong. That's who artists are in so many ways. The right has given them no place like that. It's given them no place where they can get good reviews. It's given them no place where they can win awards. It's given them no place where they can create and be lauded. We are so ready, so ready to condemn artists for the fact that artists are a little crazy that we don't actually welcome the things that they make. And so the left has taken over the arts completely. And the arts are like, I say, they're like a toxin that gets that has gotten into the blood of people uh, and has caused them to be afraid. It is pitiful. It is pitiful to see Americans who were known for at least 150 years of our history as being fearless in the expression of our opinions, no matter what rank we held in the social scale. It is pitiful to see those people shivering in fear of expressing what in fact is the truth, that men can't become women, that there are differences in in racial uh, neighborhoods, that there are problems with crime, that people who commit crime should be put away no matter what color they are. These are the things that we're afraid to talk about and afraid to say because they have taken over the culture. And the fact that the people at SNL, at Saturday Night Live, could not come out and make jokes about the blindness of the Ivy League and the deafness of the Ivy League when they hear cries for the extermination of the Jews is just part of that. It's just a, the the edge of the wedge, you know, it's just the, the tip of the iceberg uh, of the depth of the fear that is now everywhere in our culture. And it's up to us on the right to fight back against it. It's up to us on the right to create a world in which culture can be, and, and art can be created that speaks back into that fear. And we haven't done it. Mm. The, it's been somewhat heartening to see Jewish Americans and non-Jewish Americans take out their iPhones and film the people ripping down the posters. Everybody's hero, Paulie, getting in the face of that guy and that in that one confrontation, like you you don't pull down those posters. You know, you got a You got a right to object, but you can't pull down the posters. I love him. And then each day we get like little nuggets of good news. I want to give the audience this update. We covered this story last week when Farley's East Cafe out in Oakland, California, was um, three employees were caught on tape harassing a Jewish customer who wanted to use the restroom. She wanted to use the restroom because we believe she had already been in the restroom at another point or somebody had told her what was in the restroom, which was anti-Jew graffiti. And she wanted to get it on her iPhone. And these three snot-nosed employees were completely rude, wouldn't let her in there, started harassing her about the Israel-Palestine conflict, and until finally, finally they opened the door. Here's a little bit of what happened. 
We've given you all your food. I want to go you're into eating, the restroom. You're holding up so shit. All right. Also, currently, this is a private property. I, I want to go into the restroom. Yeah. I do need you to leave. I know Israel loves taking private property and saying it's their own, but we got to head. You're not going to let me you're go also into the restroom? Them, so I need you to leave. Please. I want you to go yeah. into the restroom. I need you to leave, please. All right, and it went I on like that. Here and Finally, when they the opened the door to the restroom, uh, you could see all this anti-Israel graffiti. And then that guy on the left gave her, gave her some lecture about how history didn't start in 1948, lady. Well, a lovely update. They've all been fired. Yay. <laughs> they were all fired. Farley's East Cafe Management said in a statement, due to the incident, they fell short of the intended safe space they sought to create when they opened this business 35 years ago. You think, Farley's? By the way, they only did it after public pressure on Farley's, Andrew, because originally there was no termination, but fine. I'll take it however I can get it. That's as a result of that woman whipping out her iPhone, filming the encounter, posting it. Somebody had to show some courage there. And that Jewish woman was the person. Well, this is the thing that is incredibly hopeful about this moment is that the media has changed utterly. It has been transformed utterly by the internet. The attacks on social media to try and silence conservative voices, the attacks on Elon Musk. You, you've come under attack. Tucker Carlson is under attack. The Daily Wire comes under daily attack. All of these attacks are failing. And they're failing in the same way that the you know unified Catholic Church failed when they tried to take out the voices that rose up after the invention of the printing press. Not a hit on Catholics, by the way. People who have the power don't want to give up the power. And that's what we're witnessing today. It's failing and it's going to continue to fail. You're not going to be able to silence all the people. It's just not going to happen. And so eventually, you know, we're going to return to a place where there are people who feel responsible to tell the truth. That culture disappeared. It disappeared before Donald Trump, but it started to disappear before Donald Trump. But Donald Trump put paid to it. Once Donald Trump came up, you could say anything you wanted about him. You could say anything you wanted about us, about conservatives. And it it didn't matter. There was no apology, no correction. You could just attack us and, and spread hateful lies and spread conspiracy theories and call our true. When we spoke the truth, you could call what we say conspiracy theories. That's beginning to crumble and it's going to continue to crumble. There is not going to be silence on the right. There's not going to be silence anywhere. So this is a moment of hope. It's a moment of change. It's a moment of struggle. But ultimately, I'm extremely hopeful that new voices and more voices are going to rise up and start to speak. It, it's a really, it's a, just a fascinating historical moment because we went from a place where there were three networks who delivered a kind of monolithic news, but it was also a news that reflected the fact that we were a more unified country. Now we've come to this point where we are absolutely divided and it's, we're going to have to test our ideas against one another. There are going to be debates in the press. There are going to be conspiracy theories that rise up and are destroyed. There are going to be other theories that are called conspiracy theories and then turn out to be true. It's happening now. And so, yeah, that that iPhone that is uh, Andrew Breitbart said makes every man a journalist, every person a journalist is is going to have a very powerful effect. Uh, Twitter, you know, X now uh, is going to have a very powerful effect. The spread of um, of 
different kinds of independent media, a Megyn Kelly show, a Tucker Carlson network, a Daily Wire, all of these things are going to have a much uh, bigger effect as we go forward. And I don't think it's going to stop. There's all kinds of reasons for anxiety and fear, but I'm very hopeful that we're going to win this fight to have more voices heard. And that's what you're seeing. We, you know, As you said, those three people would not have been fired if that hadn't been caught on video. And once it's caught on video, you know, it pretty well gets out there. And so the attempts yes, to silence people Jewish are person, failing. person would ever go dine at Farley's East? It's absurd. But, you know, one of the themes of our discussion is, as we saw in, in the case of, you know, Harvard and its policies on free speech and academic freedom, it's hypocrisy. That's what's stomach churning. That's what gins up the acid for me when they try to act like they're these highbrow moral managers of America. And then you see that their morals only apply one way when the perceived victim is within their you know, pre-existing group of oppressed people. Um, that brings me to Taylor Swift. So Taylor Swift, I mean, literally just voted Times Person of the Year. I think the most popular celebrity in America right now um, the number one movie, you know, you can go down the list of her accomplishments this past year alone, decides it would be a great idea to go to a fundraiser for Gaza. Taylor Swift, who has been out there tweeting about her support for the LGBTQ community. You know what they do to that community in Gaza, Taylor, that you now want to support? They'll throw them off the top of a building. That's what you're contributing to. Um, who's talked about her support for women, her her opposition to certain Republican lawmakers who don't support women in the way Taylor sees fit. You know what they do to women? You know what Hamas likes to do to women? You think we have equal rights over there? Taylor, that's what you're supporting at your little fundraiser for Gaza. Um, they're taking the money that we're designating, the U international forces are designated to help the suffering people of Gaza, and Hamas is using it to create more weapons. All this has been documented. But Taylor Swift would like to help raise funds for Gaza. Now, has this benevolent woman, Andrew, said one word about the, the mass murders that happened on 10-7 of Jews? Has she said anything about rape and sexual violence being used against the Israeli women as a tool of war, which in any world is a war crime, which maybe Taylor would know if she spent 30 seconds Googling before she decided which cause to support. Nothing. So she shows up there, wants to be seen as a humanitarian. And the question is really whether she's going to be held to account for this absurdity as she, like the others, tries to paint herself as a warrior for women and LGBTQ people in Gaza. I, I seriously doubt she's going to be held to account at all. She is at the pinnacle of her career, at the pinnacle of anybody's career. I mean, what she has done as a pop singer is amazing. Uh, and, and I just, you know, she, she went to a a comedy concert that was raising money ostensibly for humanitarian aid in Gaza, which in in theory, anyone could support. War is a terrible thing. Innocent people are going to be killed. Children are going to be hurt and killed and displaced. But we all know that that money, humanitarian aid, never makes it to the humanitarian causes in Gaza. It makes goes right to the terrorists. And as you say, they use it to build up their uh, their weaponry and their systems of escape, which put civilians in danger. And this thing about the sexual violence of the Hamas attack, 
is really important. And the fact that Taylor Swift, who does speak up for the LGBTQ community, as it's called, and for women and all this stuff, is not paying any attention to that, nor is anyone on the left paying attention to the purposeful attacks on women, raping them to death, mutilating them as they rape them, purposely putting forward to, to as they put it, to soil them and dirty them and make them into prostitutes in their, uh, you know, twisted vision of the world. All of that has been utterly ignored when it hasn't been decried as not have you know, it's not having happened, denied. It hasn't been denied. So, no, Taylor Swift is not going to be held in, uh, to account. She's too powerful. She's too big and she's too likable. I mean, she's a, a likable pop star. And I, I guess all I can say about that is, you know, I don't turn to my pop stars for political wisdom. Uh, I wish they would shut up and sing and do what they do well. Uh, you know, she she made a... I believe, a career-based decision that she had to start speaking out. She made an entire documentary about it, about how she came to speak out against Donald Trump. I have no doubt that her political opinions tilt left, but the idea that she suddenly had to come out and talk about these things, I think, was, in fact, throwing off the shackles of any blacklist. I don't think the success that she's had would have been possible if she had continued to maintain silence about her political opinions, which she did for quite a long time. So this is a good career move. For her. <laughs> I don't think she's going to pay the price for it. Again, when the culture, when the culture insists that people have more moral insight than Taylor Swift, then Taylor Swift will have more moral insight. She's not there to to do good in the world. She's there to be loved. That's what artists work for. They work for your love. She's got so much of it. Uh, you know, I guess she needed a little bit more and uh, and she's going to get it. She's not going to be held to account at all. It, well, it's I a hope, shame. I hope you know? young Jewish women. I hope young Jewish women who paid exorbitant amounts to go to her uh, concert, who paid more money still to go see her movie, understand that Taylor thought it would be a great idea to support as you point out, an event at a comedy club, along with Selena Gomez and Cara Deville, I don't know how you pronounce her last name, the model, um, a group that NGO Monitor has described as highly political, presenting a highly biased view of the Israel-Palestine war, ignoring any Palestine responsibility for hardship and contributing to the demonization of Israel. That is the group Taylor Swift thought it might be fun to help raise money for, attend the fundraiser for, and she owes Israelis and Jewish Americans an apology. And I hope they boycott her events until she issues it. Because attending this thing was wrong. It was wrong. Do some Googling. See what they do in Gaza to gays. See about women's rights in Gaza, Taylor. Otherwise, do this when it comes to talking about those issues again. You clearly know nothing. All right, Andrew Clavin, stand by. Much, much more to discuss. Quick break first. All right, Andrew, so unbelievably, um, you're not gonna believe this. There is a 50-year-old man swimming with 13-year-old girls and younger in Canada. Now, we mentioned this story a couple of weeks ago when we first got wind, courtesy of Rebel News, that he was swimming with them. And it, and we, they, they tried to deny it at the facility first, but it was caught on tape, like not the actual swimming, but um, oh, an eyewitness. And then they were forced to admit it. Well, he's at it again. He is out there again, swimming against girls. His name is Nicholas Cepeda, C-E-P-E-D-A. 
He now wants us to call him Melody Wiseheart. No, Nicholas, I refuse because there's something seriously wrong with you. You're not trans. You're a sicko. That's my opinion. And I'm entitled to it. He's 50. He's swimming in the pool with, get this, eight to 16-year-old girls, as young as eight. And Rebel News documented that he actually was changing in and out of a swimsuit in the women's locker room. I should say girls' locker room. He's in there changing. It's unbelievable. It's sick. This guy should be arrested. Unbelievably, the parents are not having a full meltdown. Some of the ones who talked to Rebel News said the girls were terrified. We tried to put up makeshift towel tenting things so that he couldn't see them and they couldn't see him. We're trying to be accepting of people, but swimming against our kids and being in the locker room is not appropriate. But Swim Ontario stands by this guy, the 50-year-old man identifying as a 13-year-old girl. That's what he says, saying, we believe swimming is for everyone and that people, it's a quote, <laughs> Swimming Canada and Swim Ontario, and that people of all shapes, sizes, genders, beliefs, and backgrounds should have the opportunity to swim to the best of their ability. The Rebel News caught up with one of the girls. She personally says she wasn't offended but she spoke to some of what went on. Look at this. So we'll just go uh, downstairs and see if anyone there wants to weigh in on this absolute scandal. Oh, I watched your YouTube video. Oh, did you? How'd you like it? It was entertaining. Yeah? <laughs> did, you, did you young ladies have any trouble with a mature male swimming with the girls? Melody? Yeah. No. No? Really? Okay. She goes in her chamber room. I see her in the mornings. Oh, okay. And she doesn't go in your chamber? She does. Oh, okay. But she is a heat, isn't it? I mean, he's still yeah. got his male, you know, life, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have a nice weekend. Uh, it's, it's incredible. By the way, just not for nothing, but since you're a wordsmith, this happened in Barrie, Ontario at the December 1st Trojan Cup race. I mean, the perfectly named Trojan Cup. Can, the girl's saying this is an intact male. He hasn't had yeah. surgery. She see, that's his, quote, teammate. So this group is allowing him to be on the team, swimming and changing with the girls. They've lost their ever-loving minds. Well, you know, actually, th that's that's actually true, Megan. I mean, first of all, I would like you to refer to me as Andrew Weishart from now on. I did like that name. <laughs> But, but I, I have to say, you're actually right, though. This is induced mental illness, and it's incredibly widespread. And I think that it's, in, you know, the, the fact that we have this guy, Richard Levine, who calls himself Rachel and who uh, insists that children should be transitioned uh, if they want to, the fact that he's in our government instead of in Arkham Asylum from the Batman movies, you know, I, I think is is indicative of just how far this mental illness has progressed. This is not the first time in human history when madness has overcome the crowd, but it is it is one of those times. And I think it's time for us to start looking at this in some kind of insightful way and start talking about what is the incredible hatred against women that would 
cause us to cancel their very existence? What is the uh, incredible hatred against gender itself that would cause us to want to cancel it? For for most of us, I would say for 99% of us, the fact that we are two genders is the central pleasure of life, right? It is the reason that life is beautiful. It's the thing we all think about. It's the thing that young people look forward to. It's the thing that old people look back on and reflect on with warmth and nostalgia. It's it's what we're all, it's the kind of love we're all looking for. The fact that there are people who can't participate in that may be sad and may be difficult and may cause us to want, want to have compassion and, and you know, and, and some find some way to mitigate their pain. But to erase the central fact of the human condition that we are gendered and in our genders, we recreate the human race. That, that's a true act of mental illness. That's a true act of madness. And so I think, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I don't know if you saw that the Barbie movie. This is this hugely successful movie in which there's a throwaway line in which one of the girls says, men hate women and women hate women. You know, what else is new? And and that's not the first time I've heard that. I mean, Martin Amos wrote that in a book where he said, if 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 men don't like women, well, who does? And I think that that's actually speaking to some kind of truth about the modern human world that women have become anathema to to everybody. That women don't like themselves. They don't like the way they are. They think that they have to be men in order to be important or strong. They think they have to live a male life. And and this has increased to the point of mental illness. Since again. This is where our pleasure comes from. This is where our love is directed. This is where creation takes place. Why is it being canceled? Why is it the enemy? Why are people who believe in gender and who believe in the beauty of gender and who believe in the pleasure of gender, why are they the enemy? This is a genuine mental illness and a widespread one. And again, an induced mental illness is put upon us by our betters, our the people in the elite. Why? I think we should really be thinking about this in a serious philosophical and psychological way because it's spreading and it's uh, obviously absurd and it's causing even even atrocities even worse than this obviously sick man swimming with these children. Yes. And this is not your first offense, Canada. Need I refer (laughs) you back to Kayla Lemieux, the obviously deranged shop teacher who decided to do two watermelon fake breasts and a miniskirt. It was a dude who lied about having some condition gynomastia that grew fake breasts. I'm not done with the 50-year-old swimmer. Wait until you see Rebel News catching up with him. That's right after this break. Don't go away. Andrew, so um, Rebel News caught up with this man, Nicholas Cepeda, who wants us to call him Melody Wiseheart, uh, age 50, swimming with girls age 8 to 16 last month in October at the Markham, Ontario race. He competed against a bunch of 13-year-olds. And now in the locker room, as you heard there from one of his teammates, a young girl uh, changing right in front of them without any, not that it would matter, but without any sex change surgery. Um, so he, he was spotted by rebel news doing a great job up there in Canada. Love, love, love rebel news. And here's what happened. In the meantime, we're going to watch him swim. Just will you see the perverse visuals of a 50 year old man lining up against 13 and 17 year old girls. We finally have 
a definitive answer to where Nicholas Sapita changes and showers. It is in the girls' dressing room. I saw it myself with my own eyes. He didn't go into the male dressing room. He didn't go into the family dressing room. Mr. Sapita, what, what is your deal? Why are you swimming with 13-year-olds? Why are you breaking world aquatic rules? Why are you a coward? Do you have a, do you have a record of sexual perversion? Please protect me from these people. P protect us from what? Where are you going? Yeah, he's the one who needs protection, Andrew. And the offense committed inside that pool that day was of the rebel news reporter trying to document this man with the teenagers, not the actual fact that he was there in the first place. Yeah, you know, the fact that this is happening in real life makes it a little hard to take in, but you have to stop, pull back for a minute and think of the cultural failure that we're witnessing when this happens. And it happens here too. I mean, it's not just in Canada. Where I've never parents? seen anything like this. I've never seen a 50-year-old man with preteens. Okay. This is okay, but, this is but a you've true seen that, outrage. But you've seen that guy with the tremendous muscles, Leo, what's his name? You know, Leo going Thomas. out there and yeah, you know, and competing against women. Where are the parents of these children yes. to say, uh, we're all boycotting this? Every single one of us, we are shutting down your athletic department until you get this guy out of our child. Listen, I have a daughter. If anything like this had happened, and I'm a, a, a guy who likes to keep to himself, if anything like this had happened, I'd have been in flames. I would have shown up literally on fire just saying, this yes. is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Where are the fathers? Where are they? And where are the, where are the mothers? for that matter. The, 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 the completeness of the societal breakdown is, is so stunning that I don't think we've taken it in. You know, we, we go after this guy, and of course, he's obviously a sick man who's doing something terrible, but it goes so far beyond that. Where is this hatred for women coming from? Where is this attempt to actually eliminate women from the human experience coming from? I think it's worth looking at because I do think it goes back to the mistakes of feminism. I mean, you know, when when I am an anti-feminist, when I attack feminism, people think I don't want women to have any rights. That's that's not the truth at all. What I think is that there was an actual problem and feminism was the wrong solution. I think that this idea that we have belittled the feminine sphere, the home sphere, the mothering sphere, all of these things have been relegated to some kind of second class status so that if you go out and you have a job or you if you're pushing paper for your boss, you're somehow more free, more liberated than if you're home cooking meals for your family. You know, it's it just it's just a really strange twisting of human values. It's never been seen before on earth. It's never been actually uh, perpetrated at this level. And, and yet we can't take it in. We can't take in the fact that it's done terrible things. I now routinely see online women saying, women, uh, you know, around the age of 38, 40, saying feminism has ruined my life. And I keep thinking, well, yes, it has. And when are more people going to start to talk about this? Why can't we even make a movie in which women are women instead of women who punch people and they fall over as if they were punched by Mike Tyson? I, I don't understand. Well, I do, I do have thoughts about it. I do have ideas about why this is happening. But I don't understand why 
people are not talking about this on a bigger level. Instead of just saying, okay, here's an example of this outrage, the entire thing is outrageous. The entire idea that women should be insulted in this way, it, it is blackface, essentially. And, it's, and in some ways, you know, blackface wasn't as bad. I mean, this is eliminating It's definitely people. not as bad. This is worse because you've got the exploitation of minors and yes. of women <laughs> on a mass scale. There, there is a an unhealthy proportion of these so-called trans, quote, women who are autogynophiles, men who get off sexually by dressing as and pretending they are women. I don't know whether that's the case with this guy who we're watching in Canada, uh, Nicholas, but the odds are good. What mother of a prepubescent girl or immediately in the midst of puberty girl would allow that guy within 10 feet of her while she's changing in a locker room. Shame on those parents. Shame on you all. You protect your daughters or they will be exploited. It is up to you. And it's up to Canada Swim and it's up to the swimming body. Rebel News is right. There is a there's an organization called um, World Aquatics, which says male swimmers who transitioned after puberty cannot swim with females. All of this ignores the absurdity of the fact that the man is 50. But there are so many people to blame for what happened to those girls in that pool. And think about the connection, too, with what we were talking about before, the atrocities in Israel, the things I, I can't I, I can't even talk. I don't even want to talk about the things that were done to women during the October 7th attacks in Israel. But they're so awful, so intentional. Where where is the outrage? Where are the people saying, you know, I'm sorry, but whatever you believe in, wherever you are, whatever your status is, you are now eliminated as people. This this hostility against women, I would, call, I would go beyond hostility. This hatred of women is widespread. It is uh, infiltrating an entire segment of our society. And the fact that people are afraid to talk back against it, the fact that they're afraid, that, that women are afraid to, to say, you know, I'm sorry, you cannot pretend to be me and say that I don't exist, that my entire experience from birth is somehow non-extant and you can just take it over by putting on a string of pearls. I, I cannot understand why. I think we're so shocked, maybe, by the size of the ins insanity, by the vastness of the lie that we're having a hard time reacting at the level that we should be reacting. The outrage should be complete. It should be entire. And the fact, as you say, the fact that fathers are letting their daughters go undefended in this situation uh, is, is an atrocity in and of itself. Mm, that's so true. Who can you depend on to protect you against a sick person like this, if not your mom and dad? What mom yeah. and dad sits there and watches this? I mean, I would throw myself into the pool. I would literally throw myself into the pool lane in front of that guy and say, you get out of here. There's no way I would allow my daughter or sons or anybody to swim in a meet with somebody like this. I, these parents have fallen down. And it's not the first time, as I mentioned it's no accident to me that this shop teacher was, you know, with the fake breasts and allowed to teach shop in a little mini skirt. A man, a man who made up lies to The New York Post about how he grew them. He grew them, Andrew. He's got some condition called gynomastia that leads to elephant size breasts with orange size nipples off the end of it. And then I've got to run it because I love Rebel. And just while we're on a Rebel News uh, celebratory kick, they caught up with him without his breasts on that were totally real. And he grew and watch it. It's 11 seconds.
breasts were real. Where are your breasts? Why are you dressing inappropriately in front of children? Can can they? Can we? We gotta create like conservative Emmys, you know, and like conservative <laughs> the Cronkite Awards. This, this is they're they tolerating this nonsense time after time up there. And here, and know, here, I don't mean to excuse us. I'm just saying, like, the most egregious blatant examples are coming from up north. Yeah, you know, what you just said, though, is actually really important. We have no infrastructure for awarding journalism. We have no infrastructure for awarding art. We have no infrastructure for awarding our point of view. So when you come out with this insanity, oh, a man can become a woman, Dylan Mulvaney, is day, it's day one of being a girl, and, you know, so let's celebrate his girlhood. When you come out with that insanity, there's no there's no cultural blowback. You know, there's no one to say, you know, of course they should win an Emmy for that kind of material. Uh, you know, they, they should win a comedy yes. award for that sort of material. Yeah, they're they're I, protecting children. They're protecting yeah. children. That's much like, look, that leads me to you guys at The Daily Wire. So many of us trying to fight back. But I love I mean, Daily Wire with Lady Ballers is one big middle finger at everything we've just discussed. Right. It takes this issue shows it for the mockery that it is of women and women's sports. And on cue, the left-wing establishment is horrified. Andrew's in Lady Ballers, which is, you can see it if you subscribe to Daily Wire Plus. It's just a one, do we have it? Do we have Andrew's one-liner? I would love to see it. Getting dumped. Tucking trunks. No, she didn't. That's the biggest I've ever seen on a lady. You won't be surprised to learn that Out Magazine is very unhappy with Lady Ballers, uh, in which the Daily Wire portrays a bunch of guys who decide they want to be winning basketball players, and they decide to dress up as and pretend they are women and become champions. Um, Out Magazine says the trailer for this is the worst thing we've ever seen. It is a well-known fact that right-wingers cannot make good art and don't have a sense of humor. And the Daily Wire is reminding us all of that with the new preview for its first feature-length comedy film, Lady Ballers. It goes on to say, it almost seems like the people who made the movie understand that if their premise was real, there would be real life examples of groups of men like this taking over women's sports. There aren't. Even Leah Thomas, the University of Pennsylvania swimmer and possibly the most famous trans woman athlete in the world at the moment, was only ranked as the 32nd best female swimmer in D1 college swimming during her senior year. Now, just a little fact check before I turn it back over to you. Leah Thomas um, in February of 2022 came in first in the 200 yard, the 500 yard, the 100 yard freestyle events at the Ivy League Women's Swimming and Diving Championships at Harvard. Leah Thomas in March of 2022 won the NCAA 500 meter freestyle title. Leah Thomas overall, by the conclusion of his swimming career at UPenn, uh, his rank had moved from 65th on the men's team to first on the women's that uh, in the 500 and 554th on the men's team to fifth on the women's in the 200 yard freestyle in addition to the other records 
that Leah set. So Out Magazine better remind itself that there are actual women who read it and aren't obsessed with Leah Thomas and its lies. Actually have done some fact checking. I think is Out Magazine for both gays and lesbians. Does it have to be for the Leah Thomases? Leah Thomas doesn't fit in. In any event, Andrew, um, here we go again. You know, you know, many, many, many years ago, I did a satire video about this so-called two-state solution in Israel, saying we ought to have a one-state solution where the entire Middle East is turned over to the Jews because the Jews run things so much better than everybody else. And I thought, that's such an obvious joke. Someone has obviously made it, must have made it before. Uh, so I'm not going to, I don't want to steal anybody's, you know, humor. So I went looking for it. I thought Saturday Night Live has got to have done a one-state solution joke. It's such an obvious joke. It didn't exist anywhere. And I suddenly realized all this stuff is just lying there on the ground waiting for the right to pick it up. This Lady Ballers thing, it it's not like an act of genius to make fun of this. It's already funny. All you have to do is put it on screen. And that's really all the Daily Wire did was they just put it on screen, wrote a funny story about it, made some funny jokes about it. And it's funny. And so the fact that the left is so exercised about it. They're just exercised about, the, about it that they weren't able to stop it because that's what they've been so able to do. It's all a joke. I mean, it is all hilarious because it's so absurd. And the fact that nobody, you know, that, you know, I don't know if you remember when Obama was president and Saturday, a Saturday Night Live writer said he's like a wall of obsidian. He's so smooth. There's nowhere to find any humor. I mean, this is a guy who ate dogs, who smoked dope, who was said, we're going to transform America. They couldn't find a single joke to make about Barack Obama. This is the mindset that we're dealing with on the left. And the fact that uh, we can just pick this stuff up off the ground is every good reason for <laughs> the right to start making culture on yes. mass. We should just start turning out movies like this because it's just so easy to keep doing it. I'll, I'll just add a couple more stats to our list. Um, you have got, oh gosh, this it's a long list of, of men who have competed in women's sports. But the latest happened at, stand by and I'll find it. Uh, in Illinois, Illinois State Cyclocross Championships on December 3rd. Uh, actual woman Kristen Chalmers finished third after trans athletes, these are men, Tessa Johnson and Evelyn Williamson. Tessa and Evelyn competed as a team in two of the races, claiming first place in both. They chose T. Estrodolls as their team name referencing the women's sex hormone. Aren't you so cute making fun of us and making fun of our hormones too? A lot of us have to deal with estrogen for real, unlike you men posing as women um, and, and the many issues it creates in a woman's body. God bless us, I'm just saying. Um, they One of them competed in both the men's and the women's categories at a race back in March of 2020, both the men's and the women's. Guess what happened, Andrew? I'll give you one Yes. <laughs> what happened when that man posing as a woman competed with the women? What place do you think he came in? I, I'm guessing number one, but I'm also guessing he didn't do you as well it. when he competed against men. You got it. He came in yeah, first against the Amazing. women like, in the like men's race against yeah. 40 cyclists. He didn't even place, did not even <laughs> place. But Out Magazine says it's not happening. So I guess we need to we, we need to believe them. The woman who came in third, who we just showed up on those podiums, who who was third. She defended the two transgender cyclists. 
she's like, it's like a form of brainwashing. It's brainwashing. She came out to say, we refuse to be falsely presented as victims in a manufactured controversy driven to further alienate and marginalize those most vulnerable within our community in service of rampant and harmful anti-LGBTQ plus legislation. Inclusion makes our sport and community stronger. Everyone is welcome here. Trans women are women. And to her credit, Riley Gaines spoke out about this and said, you are a traitor to ethical and fair sport and a traitor to women. Hear, hear, Team Riley. Yeah, Riley Gaines, I mean, she's like the, the last, it's like it's like invasion of the body snatchers. I keep waiting for Riley Gaines to turn up and have been taken over by mock Riley Gaines because it is it is like this widespread disease. And again, I think I think the power, the power of culture, the power of media has never been more well demonstrated, better demonstrated than in this moment. The power of people to put forward a, a complete falsehood, something that has no scientific backing, has no, uh, you know, there's no evidence of it because there can't be any evidence of it. It's not true. And convince people that they should sacrifice their athletic careers in order not to be harmful to this make-believe condition that people have. It is, it is really as if people with anorexia were being told, yes, you know, you really are too fat. Sure, you only weigh 70 pounds and you'll be dead if you don't start to eat. But you really, you know, you, do, you look fat to me too. I don't want to be hateful and say that you're not fat. It really is like this mass delusion. And it just shows you the incredible power that the left is amassed in the media, in the academy, uh, in the news media and the entertainment media. And, and the power of that, you know, the power of that to change people's minds and make people think that the emperor is wearing clothes when he's walking around stark naked. It, it's an amazing power, and we've neglected it way, way too long. And I'm glad to see the Daily Wire and hopefully other places start to strike back against that because it's a monopoly that has to be broken. Here's a little shoot of grass for you as we close out that piece of the discussion. Dylan Mulvaney, recently named one of Forbes' annual 30 under 30 for his mockery of women. Um, he was He spoke at Penn State's uh, Robeson Center's Alumni Hall happened to be the same location where Riley Gaines was scheduled to speak in October prior to the school canceling Riley Gaines' appearance. But Dylan Mulvaney, a man pretending to be a woman, is more than welcome. Apparently, according to Young America's Foundation, which went and took a photo of the hall, I haven't seen whether this, this is what they're reporting. I don't know this firsthand. No one showed up. Look at all the people, Andrew, in this photo who showed up to hear Dylan Mulvaney. Literally nobody is there. Uh, perhaps they showed up later. But Dylan Mulvaney normally charges $40,000 to show up anywhere and speak. And this university, Penn State, found a place for him, but not for Gaines. I, I have no hope for the colleges and, and what they did to Riley. But I do have hope seeing an empty lecture hall that normal people are taking a hard pass on the Dylan Mulvaney's of the world. Well, it identified as a full lecture 
also. That's the important thing. I think they, people, <laughs> nobody, nobody showed up, but they identified as somebody. I think that that's, that's the important thing. It, it is, it is a, a, it is a remarkable thing. I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that people are starting to wake up to it. It's just, uh, it is very hopeful. And look, reality has a voice. Reality does strike back after a while. You can't vote reality out of the room. It's going to come back again and again and again. And I just think it, it's an, it is an amazing thing that they let Dylan Mulvaney speak and not Riley. Riley, who's an actual woman, basically saying to her, no, you're not allowed to be a woman, but you can be a man pretending to be a woman is, is the ultimate. To me, that's the end of feminism. That is feminism yeah. where it was heading all along, that the best women are men uh, and the only women that we recognize are manly women. It's, it's, it's so yeah. offensive and so anti-human and so anti-life that it's it's got to collapse eventually because human life will continue. Well, I, I hope you're right. Okay, now um, I want to switch gears to, to Anthony Fauci because he said something unbelievable that I thought you'd be perfect to respond to. He gave an interview, and um, during the interview with the BBC, uh, he made a comment about she, he was asked whether he still goes to church. Uh, there was something about the chapel in which he and his wife were married. And uh, he was asked if he still goes to this church for for mass. And here's what he said. You don't practice no, anymore, do you? I don't, no. Why? Uh, a number of complicated reasons. Go on. We have a whole corridor. <laughs> I, I, first of all, I, I think my own personal ethics on life are, I think, enough to keep me going on the right path. And I think that the, there are enough negative aspects about the organizational church mm -hmm. uh, that you are very well aware of. I, I'm not against it. I identify myself as a Catholic. I was raised, I was baptized, I was confirmed, I was married in the church. My children were baptized in the church. But as far as practicing it, it seems almost like a pro forma thing that I don't really need to do. He doesn't need to worship. No, because his own he can, personal he can rely ethics. on his own ethics. I mean, he did such a great job during the pandemic that I think I can understand what, what it looks like to rely on your own ethics once you've walked away from God. You know, I, I always feel a little bad about banging this drum because I know it's off-putting to people uh, to be preached to, and I don't mean to preach to them, but just pretend for a moment, just imagine for a moment that God is a real thing, that God exists. Life is different in that case. Just like it's different if gravity exists than if it doesn't. The re results of walking off your roof are going to be different if gravity exists than if it doesn't exist. The results of living without God are going to be different if God exists than if it does than if he doesn't exist. And I think the evidence, uh, both scientific and simply emotional and cultural, are that God is a real thing. He actually operates in the world. He operates in the hearts and minds of men. Of course, you can be a good person without believing in God. You just can't make any sense while you're doing it, because as every great thinker has ever said, uh, without God, anything is allowable, anything goes, there is no moral uh, judge. You know, we live in a world, you know, C.S. Lewis said this, he said, God made human beings to, to run on him, to run on God, to find their happiness in God, to find their motivations in God, to find their self, themselves in the image of God. And the people who don't do that ultimately wind up lost, and the cultures that don't do it collapse. And they collapse for the very reason that they've gotten rid of an aspect of reality. So I think, I think it's worth having an open cultural discussion in which we talk about 
the evidence for the fact that there, there's God. At least we should be able to do that. And, and this is another thing that the left has been able to shut down, is conversation and debate. You know, we, we no longer have conversation and debate. We have shouting matches and insult dealing and cancellation. But really, a, a thoughtful conversation about what it's like to live with live without God and what it's like to live with God is something that we should be talking about, because I think the evidence is becoming more and more clear. God is a real thing. He really does operate in the world. He's not just an invisible, you know, granddaddy up there in the sky. He's actually something that has an effect. When you have faith in him, you act differently. Your life goes differently. The things that you think about are different and more realistic. I, I converted very late in life. I was baptized as a 49-year-old man. And all I can tell you is my great fear in doing that was that I was going to lose my sense of reality, that I was going to become, you know, a, a happy talk, a big smiley face and start to talk about life <laughs> as if it were it, there were no cruelty or evil in it. The exact opposite happened. I became a much more realistic person, much more able to predict what people were going to do in given situations, much more able to predict what was going to happen to my culture and my society in given situations. And that led me to believe that I had come to believe in something that was real, even though it wasn't visible to the naked eye. I think this is a conversation we have to have because guys like Fauci, there's no, he's paid no penalty for the fact that he screwed up this country so badly that it may, it's going to be decades before it recovers from his personal ethics. Maybe, you know, the question should be raised. Well, if your personal ethics nearly destroyed the United States of America, maybe your personal ethics aren't enough and maybe you should reconsider the church you left behind. Amen. <laughs> Andrew Claven, I love when you're on. Thank you so much for coming on the show regularly. It means a lot to us all. Great to hear from it's you. It's always such a pleasure, Megan. Thank you so much. Oh, it's just truly one of my favorite people. Um, okay, we're going to be right back. And I'm very excited to talk to Carl Higby. I've known him for a long time since we were at Fox together. He's now over at Newsmax. And the reason he's coming on today is because this is a guy who found a way of taking a very, very blue town, Greenwich, Connecticut, and turning it red. He's going to offer you the blueprint. Maybe we should call it the red print uh, for your town next. I'm Megan Kelly, host of The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM. It's your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations with the most interesting and important political, legal, and cultural figures today. You can catch The Megan Kelly Show on Triumph, a Sirius XM channel featuring lots of hosts you may know and probably love. Great people like Dr. Laura, Glenn Beck, Nancy Grace, Dave Ramsey, and yours truly, Megan Kelly. You can stream The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM at home or anywhere you are, no car required. I do it all the time. I love the Sirius XM app. It has ad-free music coverage of every major sport, comedy, talk, podcast, and more. Subscribe now. Get your first three months for free. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. That's SiriusXM.com slash MKShow and get three months free. Offer details apply. Last month, a year after Republicans failed to deliver the red wave they promised in those 2022 midterm elections, the GOP continued its recent election struggles across the country. Democrats regained, retained the governorship in deep red Kentucky and won the state house in Senate, uh, hey, state house and the Senate in Glenn Youngkin's Virginia. But there is one place in America where Republicans swept all their races 
and they did it in a deep blue area. Our next guest, Carl Higby, helped make that happen and has some thoughts on how the GOP can make it happen elsewhere come November 2024. He is the host of Carl Higby Frontline on Newsmax, and he joins me now. Carl, great to see you again. How you doing? Hey, Megan, good to be back on with you. Awesome. All right. So just by way of background, so the audience knows a little bit about you, uh, you served our country honorably. You were a Navy SEAL. Uh, you fought in Iraq. You were deployed a couple of times and then came back home, got sort of became a bit of a talking head on Fox, forgive the description, and got more and more involved in politics. And so you have every right to do that. I mean, once you've served the country, we need to hear from you more than ever. And I'm sure became frustrated at how hard it is for Republicans to win elections. So just yeah. talk about that a little bit. Well, I, look, Republicans have an innate ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory every time. I don't know how we do it. Look, our policies are hands down better than every Democratic policy out there. We win on every single major issue, but we do everything else so poorly. I mean, look, the Democrats control the media. They control pop culture. They control the majority of these influencing regimes out there that that sell rainbows and unicorns to people with purple hair and somehow win elections on that. So we do everything right on the policy side and then everything wrong. So all we have to do on the messaging side is just a little bit right, because right now our elections are still a 50-50 proposition somehow. So if we can just do a little bit right, how little that is, 5%, 10%, we will sweep elections and it'll be time to just have a margarita between now and November because the, it'll be a foregone conclusion. Mm -hmm. All right. So you decided to take this on in Greenwich, Connecticut. So first, what was the problem in Greenwich, Connecticut, as you saw it? Well, so Connecticut is obviously deep blue. Now, in Greenwich, Republicans have historically held a lot of the seats. Um, you've generally always been a Republican, what we call a mayor or first selectman, um, and a lot of the seats. But what happened was, is when the onset of Trump came on, a lot of people in, I mean, Biden swept Greenwich, Connecticut in the last election. Hillary Clinton swept Greenwich, Connecticut in 2016. And um, as Trump came on, there were a lot of Republicans that fell into the Mitt Romney, Asa Hutchinson sort of, you know, I might like his policies, but I hate the man. And this was a big problem because even our, we actually threw, we, we had this uh, town chair, I'm not going to say his name, but he, he was adamantly anti-Trump. And I get it. Okay, not everybody's anti-Trump, but he wouldn't even hold a, a, a campaign rally for Trump for fundraising for local candidates. He wouldn't even put signs in the local headquarters for us to come get, not on the windows, just there so we could come pick them up and distribute them for people who wanted them. And we threw him out last uh, year and a half ago. We threw him out of out of office and we took over the what they call the Republican Town Committee, the, the Republican Town Party. And we installed a bunch of people that weren't necessarily MAGA, but they were very pro-Trump policy. And we didn't back away from him. Now, in the subsequent November election, which was a year ago, we actually lost Republican seats because it was the midterm election. So we had some state rep seats and things like that. And what had happened was, is when we ran the caucuses a year and a half ago to throw out the party leadership, we lost. Uh, they lost by a combined about 150 to 160 votes townwide for all the seats. Um, whereas wait, now I'm confused. Oh, wait, I'm confused now because you okay. were saying you were saying that you got the Republican guy out who hated Trump, but then in the yeah. following election last November you lost. So now what are well, you saying happened in these caucuses? So what's crazy is 
the people who we threw out, all the anti-Trump Republicans that were not really Republican, they were more Mitt Romney kind of, they went out and voted Democrat a year ago in those elections. And okay. we lost a couple seats because of that. And we're talking 80 vote margins on state Senate, state rep races. So the following year, which was last month, we went to bat. We went to war with these people. We exposed them. Every single ad we put up went un did not go unanswered for anything that they said bad about a Republican, anything a Democrat said bad about a Republican. We made sure we answered it. And we exposed them for a lot of that. And what happened was a lot of them came back to the side of the Republican Party rather than the anti whatever the new people want. And through that, we were able to get on board with the messaging that Democrats have tr traditionally used. Now, Democrats historically have always beaten us down on social issues. So we took a page from that book. We fought back on every social issue. And we said, hey, look, if you're in Connecticut and your primary concern is abortion rights, we have a Democratic House, a Democratic State Senate, a Democratic governor. You're never going to lose your abortion rights in Connecticut. Maybe you should be more concerned about $4 a gallon gas. And it resonated. We also mm. beat Democrats in Greenwich on early voting. That's never happened in my lifetime, Megan. That's so critical. And that's been a big debate within the Republican Party. As you know, Trump was criticized in 2020 for saying, don't do it, don't trust it, vote only on Election Day, which has traditionally been when Republicans are more likely to go to the polls anyway. So it was feeding into a pre-existing bias by GOPers to do it that way. And sure. it turned out to be a big mistake. It turned out to be a 100%. big mistake because the Democrats banked so many votes prior to and a lot of people, whatever, on election day, you get busy, the line's too long, it rains. There are all sorts of things that can thwart your pre-existing plan to right. vote. So how? But like saying we want to get out the early vote is one thing. Actually mm -hmm. doing it and getting Republicans to get over that bias is another. A hundred percent. And that's the thing is it, traditionally in the Republican Party, and this is the problem, like the Democrats are so organized. They are decades ahead of us on strategy, on infrastructure and on the number of people that they have recruited to these ground voting things. And what we did in historically in the Republican Party, a lot of people want to talk about it. They want to pontificate about it, especially in Greenwich. But a lot of them think that they're too good to walk around and go door to door in houses and make phone calls. Look, I made 450 phone calls on election day. I'm I'm not telling people what to do. I did it myself. I knocked on over 200 doors in my community myself to try to get people out to vote. So this is what it Who, takes. Whose doors? It takes a, were doors of Republicans, registered Republicans? Uh, so Republicans and independents. So in Connecticut, we're about 25% registered Republicans or in Greenwich and about 35% registered Democrats and the rest are independent. We've huge swaths of independents there. But yet when we came down to election day, we won every single thing, every single Republican that was on the ballot in any position won their seat, which is wow. insane. So what would you say? I'm curious if you if you knocked on somebody's door or they picked up the phone and I imagine if it's a Republican, it's a little easier. But if it's an independent, you never know. What would you say sure. to get them to actually get out, get off their tuchus and go vote? Honestly, I, I, I brought it all down to groceries, gas and mortgages. I said, do you like what you're paying here? Do you like what you're paying there? I mean, look, Connecticut has historically high gas prices. OK, that's the number one thing. Hey, do you like paying three eighty nine a gallon for unleaded fuel, the lowest level? Do you like paying four fifty a gallon for diesel? Like, look, Connecticut. And this is the thing. 
that Connecticut has some of the highest ta taxes on fuel. So you, you can make this case on local policy, you can make it on state policy, but also the local issues that were driving people on this time, they want to put low-income housing in a lot of areas in Greenwich, which, okay, fine, fair enough, but how they're doing it and how they're violating our own zoning laws to do it, people were awakened by that. And if you went to someone's door and says, hey, that train station parking lot that you normally park in, they're actually going to turn it into a 200-person apartment complex, and your parking lot's going to be a quarter mile down the road. How do you feel about that? Oh, I don't like that. Well, vote Republican. Mm, that's so smart, right? Because people are busy. They don't always have the time to understand all the issues that are on, especially the local ballots. But that's the stuff that will most affect them, that and school board races and so on. So were you how much do you attribute the big wins to that, with all due respect to you and your efforts, versus the the country can't stand Joe Biden? If you look at the latest polls, my God, his approval rating is the lowest it's ever been. He's yeah. I read the Wall Street <clears throat> Journal poll the other day on the number of people who say that Trump's policies have helped them. Trump's above water by by 12 points versus Biden. Has he helped or hurt you? And Biden's underwater by dozens of points. They they blame him for their economic yeah. situation. So how much does the national situation play in? Well, so I, I think in this situation I actually didn't play in very much because this was an off year election. There, there were no congressional races. There were no state uh, wide races. It was just local elections, which, look, as historically, Republicans have been pretty, pretty successful in, in local races, but not to this extent. I mean, our first selectman, a Republican, won by a 20 point margin in an, in a year that the previous year went swept for Democrats. So, you know, you have to look at the fact that Joe Biden wasn't on the ballot. A lot of his policies weren't on the ballot. We kept it local. And the Democrats, and, and I think this might have been their fatal flaw, they made this election for any Republican on the ballot in a non-national, very hyper-local election. They made it about Donald Trump, and we didn't back down from him. We said, hey, you love him or hate him, his policies worked. We're not going to run away from him, but he's also not on the ballot, you moron. Mm, all right. So what do you do with that going into November 2024? How can that be nationalized? So the problem that Republicans always forget, especially highbrow Republicans in places like Greenwich, which is they don't want to fight. They don't want to get in the dirt with the Democrats. We did. We, it's unfortunate, but you have to. That's the game we're playing. We, Republicans consistently get in the boxing ring, ask what the rules are, get hit in the face with a chain, and then we go down for the count. So we... <laughs> You know I'm right. I mean, it's it's so frustrating to <laughs> so see <true>. it. <laughs> but so we 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 kick back and every single op-ed they wrote about us, we dug into their candidates, we dug into their history, who they've donated to, what their policies are, what they've said on social media going back five years. Megan, you know, you I mean, you've known me for a long time. People have dug stuff up on me from 10 years ago and used it against me. We did the same thing. And there were a lot of highbrow Republicans that reluctantly were on board this time, but reluctantly, who said, no, we can't get in the dirt. We can't. We got to take the high road. And somebody, I said, look, you can take the high road all you want, but you got to win elections. And mm -hmm. that damaged their can negative campaigning works. That damaged their candidates to such an extent that people were like, I just can't vote for these Democrats. Mm. So, I mean, you, uh, you clearly disagree with Trump's hesitancy. I mean, I'll show you. I asked him when I interviewed him in July. Well, no, it was in September. Um, what's the plan to unrig it? That was the number one question my audience wanted me to ask him. You say it was rigged. What's your plan to unrig it? Here's what happened. Watch. Everyone knows you think 2020 was rigged. How 
are you going to unrig it okay. in 2024? I get that question a lot too. Look, they use COVID to cheat. They cheat anyway, because how can you win elections, open borders, high taxes, high interest rates, no voter ID. I mean, everything they do is like April Fool's Day. It's the opposite, okay? <laughs> they have horrible policy. They're only good at cheating on elections. You want to know the truth. Because Republicans are bummed out. They're thinking, I'm not even going to vote. Forget it. My vote's not going to no, count. It's just the opposite. They're, you know, I don't, they're going to get it by the mail-in ballots again. They're going to vote in numbers that you've never seen before because they see what's happening. Should and they do the mail-in? Should the GOP voters do the mail-in? Okay, here's what we can't allow. Yeah, I would I would say let them do it either way. You know, I'm less on that. I like the Tuesday stuff. So be clear, what is the message to the voters? Do you want them to do the, the uh, vote-in, the mail-in vote or no? Everybody, if people say yes, do it. Mm. It's, it's yeah. somewhat frustrating, right? Because I think you want them to be much more clear. Like, do it, for the love of God, yeah. do it. I, I, and look, I love Trump to death. I, I back the man. But yes, you're absolutely right. I, I think that if he come, like there's so many people that will listen to exactly what he says. I and mean, he says, go out and vote, get your stuff in six weeks, a month, two weeks, whatever the allowance is, whatever state you're in, just go do it. And if they forget, then they can go vote on Election Day. I, I, I don't understand that. But he's well, don't you think he's he Trump, I believe, legitimately in his head, believes the election was stolen from him. And he believes that the mail-in ballots were manipulated. And so I think he still genuinely has a distrust of them. Like, all my voters are going to send in a Trump vote. And then those big bags that we see of votes yeah. are going to, whoops, get lost. I think that's his fear. And I think that's the fear of a lot of Republicans. So what, what do you yeah. say to them? Well, here's the thing is like the single handed best way to beat any type of look, the, the, the Bridgeport mayor mayoral election was just overturned by a court because there was it's fraud. Unbelievable. I mean, yes, yeah, we it, saw like, that. We've been covering that. So it, it happens. It's not like it doesn't happen. However, you know, can I walk into a courtroom and prove that Trump lost? Or Trump won? No, I can't. So I'm not going to say it with any reasonable responsibility. Do I have my feelings? Of course I do. However, Megan, if you want to get, if, if people are so bothered by this, and maybe Trump hasn't gotten to this point yet, but he needs to tell people to go work at the polls. You want to fix the problem? Go work at the polls. It doesn't, you don't need a policy. You don't need another election. You just go down to town hall, volunteer and say, I want to sit at the polls and double check ballots. Boom. There you go. That's a great idea. Oh my gosh. Like that's so simple. All right. Now, what do you make of, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy made a lot of news that at NBC debate saying Ronna McDaniel needs to resign as the head of the RNC. So many losing elections. People pushed back and said, you have Trump to blame for that, not Ronna McDaniel. But the RNC does not have a lot of money. In fact, it's some sort of record low. They have about nine point one million on hand uh, as of October 31st, the lowest amount for the committee in any commission report since 2015. So what do you make of the RNC's role in all of this and what, you know, what they should, what should they be doing? Oh, look, I, I've, I haven't really cared for Ronna McDaniel, Mitt Romney's niece. Um, I think that she's not really done a great job. I think, I mean, look, she spent a hundred grand on hair and the, whatever, but at the end of the day, she hasn't been uh, proactive in a lot of the messaging. And I know Trump has backed her. I disagree with him on that. I think that she's done a, a, a real detriment. And Vivek was right. He basically got on stage and called her a turd and said, I'm not going to put up with you losing all these elections. Did, look, did Trump have a, have a hand in certain things? Yeah. Like when he went down in Georgia during the last election mm -hmm. and fired Georgia. off on the Senate candidates. Sure. I mean, like that wasn't Trigger. great. It didn't help. Yeah, exactly. It mm -hmm. didn't help 
Um, it didn't help hit the, the case down there. But Ronna McDaniel has a massive responsibility. And Vivek is right. In Under the last three years, she's just lost election after election after election. Maybe she should step down and give it to someone else. She's clearly not doing the job. She should go work at Harvard University. They apparently hire unqualified people. What do you think the RNC <laughs> um, needs to do? Like if they put you in charge of the RNC, what could it be doing better? Like what? I understand your your points about at the local ballot box, become a poll watcher, vote yeah. early. At some point, you do have to trust the system. Honestly, it's like you kind of just have to. It's going to require some measure of trust. But what else? Like what what would you do at the RNC that's different from what Ronna McDaniel's been doing? Every election is local. And you can put like, and this is the big thing that campaigns make a big hoopla about is they spend millions upon millions of dollars of TV ads and all those things like, great, okay, be up on TV. I don't really think the TV moves the needle that much. But you know what does move the needle is hiring people in, in your local areas. I mean, I would go to every state party chair, be like, I need a town captain, go to every town captain and say, I need a district captain, and then have those people recruit 10 people to go knock on doors, watch polls, make phone calls. You need to have a military style strategic plan that would make you win elections. Because the problem is, is you can put all the TV ads you want but if you're not getting into the households that don't, A, don't typically vote, or B, don't typically know all the information, then you're not going to get it. If you make physical contact with people, if you are active in your local communities, and this is why I say even someone like Ronna McDaniel should be hyper involved in local politics. Because if you can get those people on those positions, if you can have that military command style structure, you are going to win every single election. I don't think she did that. I think she took these. No, she massive... says they're not. She says they're they're federal only at the RNC, not not the local elections. But wouldn't that have to happen like right now? You tell me because you have to get them re people who are not registered, but might be thinking, gee, I think I would vote for Trump. You know, I'm sick of the Biden economy. Don't they have to like doesn't this effort have to begin like yesterday to get them registered? Because in some places it takes a while for them to even get registered, never mind then to actually be able to vote on Election Day. Yeah, I mean, you do have to, you actually have to start 30 years ago, which is what the Democrats did. But you know what? We're here now, so we better get started. And she can say, oh, we only do federal, we only do this. That's because when Ronna McDaniel sends an ad buy over to her buddies, they get a 10% kickback and she makes some, I guarantee you that. I have no proof of that, but I guarantee you my time in politics, I've seen that 10 out of 10 times with people. They need to do stuff that doesn't have kickbacks and doesn't have returns and actually gets people to put their ass in the seat and drive to the poll. Mm. And what about, you know, DeSantis was saying at our debate, ballot harvesting, do it. He's like, you know, I'd like it to go away. But if the Democrats are doing it, our side needs to do it, where you you basically go to door to door and you try to get people's ballot and and I guess turn it in. I mean, I don't, don't totally yeah. understand ballot harvesting. Well, look, in like I think it's like 28 states still have some version of legal ballot harvesting where you can collect ballots on behalf of other people. And this is the same thing in Connecticut that we did. It was like, you know the rules, you know what the Democrats are doing, just do the same thing. And then you have to, then they have no choice but to stand on policy. And they always lose on policy. And this is what we don't understand. Go for the throat of the Democrats, do exactly what they do. And if you do that, you will win. Mm -hmm. And at every single Trump rally or whatever rally it is, they should be getting emails and numbers and names the same way Obama yes. did. That's how they started building his and the Dems big database. Carl, such a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, Megan. Thanks for having me on. All right. Talk to you soon. Um, tomorrow, a deep dive on Hunter Biden. Don't miss that. 
Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.